We sing songs together about the transformation that God desires to do in our lives. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to participate, to play along? We look to the words of Scripture because we believe that Scripture holds the power to invite us into what God is up to in the world and in our lives. So if you would, grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Grab a pew Bible, your own Bible, whatever you can grab. Pull it up on your device. Just don't check your email. Matthew chapter 7. We have been talking through the Sermon on the Mount, teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is challenging and upending all the assumptions of what it means to live a life in right relationship with God, what it means to live with a flourishing faith in the world. Matthew 7, we're going to read two verses, 13 and 14. They're good, though. Hang on. Verse 13. Enter by... The narrow gate. Pause right there. If you have a pen, a pencil, you can grab a pen or pencil. Underline that phrase. Enter by the narrow gate. This is the command that Jesus gives us in this text. Enter by the narrow gate. Underline it. We're going to talk about what it means for us to do that. But he explains why it's important. He goes on and says, For the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. We might say the destruction of our souls. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. We might say constricted. Hard to find or challenging. The way is challenging that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So what would it look like for us to be those people who find the way to life for a faith that is flourishing? If you've ever considered going to Portland, Oregon and checking out the Nike World Headquarters, I would highly recommend it. I got the chance to go there about 10 years ago, and as, as someone who grew up a sports fanatic, it was just like one of the most amazing places on earth. It's like Disneyland for sports and fashion addicts. Just amazing. The campus is massive and immaculate and has all the cool gadgets and gear that you would imagine Nike would have, but there is a place on the headquarters campus of Nike that's the secret hub of innovation and technological advancement. It's where all of the major things that Nike puts out, all of their best shoes come out of. It's called the kitchen. The kitchen. It's a throwback to the founder of Nike's first shoe development, which he did with a waffle iron in his own kitchen. But Nike in the kitchen invents all of the new technologies that are hitting the market. It's where they build shoes for the best athletes on the planet. It's where the Nike Air Jordans came out of. It's where LeBron's shoe comes out of. It's where the best running and track and baseball and football gear and shoes come from because it's a place where their best creators, their best thinkers, their best innovators spend months 
and years intentionally and slowly developing creative technology. So in the kitchen, they develop some of the coolest shoes on the planet. But they do it by slowing down and working together and being intentional and taking their time. On another part of Nike's campus, there's what's essentially an assembly line. And it is where shoes come into conception, so someone thinks it up, they sketch it out, they build a model, they get it in production, and it hits the shelf in a matter of weeks. These are not the shoes that Nike is making for the best athletes in the world. They're the shoes that end up at big box retailers that you can buy for a a lower price that still have the Nike logo, but they're not very intentionally made, and they're not made with performance in mind. They're just made so Nike can make a buck. So there's two processes. There's the kitchen, which is slow and deliberate and intentional, and there's the assembly line, which is built to get things out as quickly as possible. Many of us want a faith, a relationship with God that looks like it came from a process like the kitchen, that performs and feels and looks like it was well thought out and innovative and intentional and rich and meaningful. But we choose to invest in our faith more like the assembly line. We want it quick. We want it easy. We we don't want to be challenged. We want it painless. Jesus, fix me up. Give me what I need and let me go on my way. Which one of those describes the faith journey that you tend to be on? Jesus says that there are faith journeys that are wide road journeys. They enter through easy gates. And then there are narrow road journeys that enter through constricted and challenging paths and gates. He uses gates because, well, Anybody in Jesus' day would have known what a gate was. We know what gates are, but in Jesus' day, every substantial city had walls. And those city walls had gates, and you had to go through the gates to enter into the city. So Jerusalem, for instance, had many gates. Some of those gates were wide. Whole caravans of donkeys and cattle and people could all just go through at the same time. And then there were narrow gates almost secret gates that you had to know where they were and only one person at a time could barely squeak through. There were wide gates and there were easy gates. And Jesus said the wide and easy gates are the ways in which we depend upon ourselves. They don't demand much of us. They don't challenge us. Wide gates are easy to enter. I'm going to give you three quick reasons why wide gates are easy to enter. The first is you don't have to be very focused to enter a wide gate. You can be distracted. If you're walking down a wide road, driving down a wide road, trying to enter a wide gate, you can be distracted. You can have your mind up in the clouds, and you might still make your way through a a wide open gate. Wide gates are also easy because you can take all of your baggage with you. You can take all your stuff through a wide gate. You don't have to be selective. Everything fits. It's wide. It's easy. All of your stuff can just go with you. And the third thing is you can avoid other people on a wide road or going through a wide gate. Somebody you don't want to talk to, somebody you're not fond of, somebody that's not like you, 
Just go by on the other side. In a wide gate, it's easy to avoid people who you would like to avoid. Now, can you identify with any of those three things? A life distracted? A life where you want maybe to avoid some people who you'd rather not come in contact with? Or maybe a life where you just want to hold on to as much stuff as possible. Wide ways are easy ways. They don't challenge us. They're convenient. They're the things that we're used to. And Jesus says they don't push us to depend upon God or to love others that God might be calling us to love. And that while they're easy, while they're convenient, he says they might be destroying your souls. Last week, Melissa preached on the text that's right before this that talks about asking and seeking and knocking when it comes to our relationship with God. And she said, ask, seek, knock isn't some way of saying that God is like a genie in a bottle that you just get whatever wish you want. Saying that if we live a life that asks and seeks and knocks and we live a life that's learning to trust and depend more and more upon God. You see, a narrow road life learns to depend upon God, but a wide road is really just depending on ourselves. And while things might go well for a while, many of us are good at depending on ourselves. We are dependable people. But what happens is when things start to fall apart in our lives, we find that we have no foundation because we have not learned to depend upon God because we've taken the easy road. And the easy road is selfish, and it's self-focused, and it's self-centered, and it's self-dependent. But your life wasn't built to carry the weight of saving your soul and of being your own God. And so while the easy ways come easy, they end up leaving you just dependent upon yourself rather than dependent upon God. Jesus says there is another way. I told you to underline, enter by the narrow gate. Out beside it, you might write the word seek. Seek the narrow gate. A narrow life, a narrow way life is one that steps towards God regardless of the cost. A narrow road life is one that steps towards God regardless of the cost. So if there are some things we can notice about an easy way life, let's observe the opposite for a narrow road life. So the first thing I want you to see is that a narrow road life requires you to slow down, to focus, and to trust. If on a wide road we are busy and distracted and just wanting it now and to move on with our lives, a narrow road life says you have to slow down and focus and trust. It requires intentionality. Have you ever been hiking in the mountains? I don't count Highland Hills as hiking in the mountains, by the way. If you've ever been hiking in the mountains, and when you start off at the bottom, you can often walk in groups, just whole groups of people walking, chatting, having a good time. As you get further up the mountain and the path narrows, 
Well, there's not so much talking because you're out of breath, but sometimes you have to get in single file line and you're on this narrow, dangerous, treacherous path and you're following the person in front of you and you have to be focused and intentional to stay on that path. You have to follow the person in front of you and trust that they're on the path. And so many times we take that hard road up the mountain and when we get to the top and we see the view, we never regret having to focus and trust on that narrow path that God might be leading us on. Right? The narrow road causes us to slow down and to be intentional. And it might mean that we have to lay down the busyness in all the ways that we're trying to keep up with the ways of the world, all the ways that are distracting us and pulling us away from the road that God has for us to walk on. The next thing I want you to see is a narrow road exposes who you really are. You see, in a wide road, you can just take all of your baggage with you. But a narrow road, only you can fit through. You have to lay down your stuff. If I said, I'm going to give you a four-week vacation wherever you want to go. Some of you just got back from a four-week vacation, so (laughs) welcome. Welcome home. If I said, I'll give you a four-week trip wherever you want to go, but you can only take one small backpack with you, what would you take with you? What would you pack? You see, on the narrow road, you can't take everything. You have to choose, and you can take nothing or very little. It starts to define who you are. It reveals what you care most about, what's most valuable to you. See, most of us carry the weight of something. We have baggage either from the brokenness in our lives Or we have baggage from all the ways that we are trying to save and rescue and fix ourselves. Because on the easy way, you can just bring it all with you. But Jesus challenges us and says he'll help us and we can lay down both the broken ways of our past and the broken ways that we try to save ourselves. The narrow road says we have to drop the baggage and Jesus will walk with us. The third thing I want you to see is the narrow road forces you to come close. Jesus tells a story about a man we call the Good Samaritan. But he starts the story by talking about a businessman who's traveling and he gets beat up by robbers and he's left bloodied and for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus tells us that some religious leaders were walking by, and they saw the man bloodied and beaten on the side of the road, and it says that they went to the other side of the road because it was a wide road and they could avoid him. But on the narrow road, it forces us to come close to those who we might rather avoid, those who might do us no good in societal gain those who are annoying, those who aren't like us. Sometimes God on the narrow road calls us to come close to others. The narrow road life is a life of intentionality and a life of purpose and a life of sacrifice. And we're not just called to come close to others. We're called to come close to Jesus. On the narrow road, we find intimacy with Jesus who loves us. 
But Jesus says it's hard, it's challenging, and few find it. But it's not hard because God's hard to get to. It's hard because we prefer the wide road. Because we prefer to hold on to our stuff. We prefer to keep our distance. We prefer just to stay busy and distracted to to prove to others that we have a worthwhile life. James Madsen, who's our discipleship pastor, said, if you know you're a sinner, the gospel is easy. If you think you're a good person, the gospel is very hard. You guys tell James I quoted him, by the way. (laughs) What he's saying is that when you're on the easy road and it's working for you, how hard it is to look at the, the narrow road and say, that's good, because our easy ways are working for us. And it's not until we realize that we are broken and that we need redemption and that all of us, no matter who we are, need a Savior. And then we trust in Jesus. And what we find is that Jesus is the narrow gate. That we don't have to earn our way onto the narrow road. We don't have to prove that we're a better narrow road person. We just have to let Jesus take us there and walk alongside of him. And he leads us and he guards us and he goes with us on the narrow road. We are with Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Where are you settling for an easy way life, an easy faith? And Jesus is challenging you to not settle, to lay down easy ways, to allow yourself to be challenged by his grace and his love Where does Jesus want to transform your life? Where does he want to call you off of the easy way and onto the narrow path with him? We could ask the same question as a church. Where does Jesus want to call us off of the easy way and onto the narrow path? In this season of transition that CPC is going through, I regularly get the question, what's our vision? Who are we as CPC? Where are we headed? And with the best of intentions, when you ask those questions, what you're often hinting at is, I'm not sure we have one. I'm not sure we have a vision. I'm not sure we know where we're going. But it reminds me of a story about Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was a Presbyterian pastor. He passed away this past year, a longtime pastor on the East Coast. He uh, was the, the, the writer of the message translation of the Bible. And Eugene Peterson spent most of his career at a church in Maryland that he started. And uh, I think it was in the 60s he started this church. And they were growing. They started in his house. And they got bigger. And they finally got big enough. They built a church building. And they built their first church building. And he said people were just energized. They were excited. They were bringing their friends. They were inviting. They were telling people about Jesus. They were just living out the gospel. And then after a couple of years, he said the energy just tanked. And he said he was just anxious and stressed out, like no one's excited anymore. There's no more energy. No one else is coming to know Jesus. What are we doing wrong? And so in a panic, he called the denominational office. 
So as a church planter, a guy who started his own church, he had a connection in the denominational office, and he called his connection, and he said, hey, uh, we just lost all this energy. We have no idea what to do next. Can you help me? And the guy said, why don't you build something? And he said, no, no, we, we just built something two years ago. We, we need to do something else. And the guy said, well, build something new. And he said, wait, we don't need anything new. What do you mean? He said, yeah, yeah, but people love a good building project. They'll get excited. <laughs> Eugene Peterson said, I thought, that's not it. And hung up the phone, never called that guy again. <laughs> Sometimes we can get caught up in thinking that the answer is this big, shiny thing out there that if we can just do something heroic together, then we'll be on to something. And while building projects have their place, I'm so thankful for the renovation of our campus. While building projects have their place, often what we find is that it's just easy road, conventional thinking. If we can just do something great, we'll all be fine. While avoiding the truth that what we really need is a narrow road way of life, individually and together as a church. You see, we don't have a vision problem. We don't. We know who we are. We are people that have been redeemed by Jesus. We are sinners saved by the grace of God, and we are called to extend that invitation to others, to live a life here that's worth inviting others into and to love those who are unlovable. We are called to be the people of Jesus in the world. We don't have a vision problem. We might have an invitation problem. I say it with love. I'm the same way. We love chasing easy road solutions. Maybe we don't have a vision problem. We just prefer the wide gate. But I believe that Jesus is calling us to something better than easy way solutions. I believe Jesus is calling us onto the narrow road to walk with him a life of intentionality, a life of coming close, a life of depending upon Jesus, a life of laying down the brokenness so that we can become the people who Jesus is transforming us into. We all know that the good things in life don't come easy. We know it. We don't like to experience it. Because it might mean laying down the way we've always done it. It might mean being challenged to love those who we'd rather keep our distance from. The best things in life rarely come easy. The truth is the narrow road challenges you, but it also changes you. The narrow road challenges you, but it also changes you because on the narrow road, the challenges of life turn into trusting Jesus. And that leads to a faith that flourishes together and individually. I think we will find once we step off of the easy way that it wasn't that great to begin with and that once we're learning to walk with Jesus in the challenges of life, 
that it's all we'll ever need. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, I thank you for who you are and for how you love us, for the ways in which you challenge us, the ways in which your word calls us to step off of the easy ways of seeking a shallow faith and onto the narrow road of the challenging, thrilling discipleship journey with Jesus. As we move towards the table, would you reckon with us, help us to be examining the things going on in our hearts and to have the courage to lay our lives before you that Jesus may do with us what he will. In his name we pray, amen.